The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I'd like to invite you to open up uh, your copy of the scriptures with me to Genesis 35. We are continuing in our readings of the book of Genesis and the life of uh, Jacob. Somebody has asked me, are you preaching a Mother's Day sermon uh, today? To which my answer is in one sense no, in another sense yes, because there is a mother in the text uh, today uh, actually doing something quite uh, nurturing and lovely that we'll see, but also at the same time tenderly and somewhat sorrowfully as well. Uh, But not necessarily a Mother's Day sermon, though for sure the theme is present. We are continuing, as I said, in the book of Genesis and in the life of Jacob, Genesis 35, and we're actually drawing uh, this series to a close. Next week, Lord willing, is our final sermon in the series, Generations of Grace, Isaac and Jacob. And for as much as our attention has been on the life of Jacob, because that's really where the text very much focuses, uh, this whole time, Isaac, Jacob's father, has continued to live in his homeland, but been very much not the subject of our attention, but he's going to return to our attention, actually, this morning at the end of Genesis 35, because the close of this chapter, Genesis 35, brings to a close uh, this great era of redemptive history in the book of Genesis that we call the patriarchal period, which runs really from Genesis 11 and 12 through Genesis 35, 36. And, and that grouping of chapters is what we call the patriarchal history of the book of Genesis, where attention is on the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their families and the promises that God has made to them. But we're going to narrow down our context a bit as we focus, again, as I said, on Jacob. Last week we saw in Genesis 34, really, quite honestly, a truly disturbing passage of Scripture, wasn't it? Uh, If you were with us, a a really difficult chapter. Uh, And at the end of that difficult chapter, we were wondering what what could possibly be left for Jacob, the so-called man of God, this patriarch of the faith. And the reason why Genesis 34 was such a difficult chapter was because if you peek back at the end of Genesis 33, God had called Jacob to go back to a particular place called Bethel. And Jacob was on the way there, but he stopped about 24 hours short, staying at Shechem rather than going all the way to Bethel. And there at Shechem, Genesis 34, disaster falls upon um, his daughter really his whole family, an entire city, disaster falls upon Shechem and the household of Jacob, seemingly all because Jacob failed to obey God all the way. So if you're looking at Genesis 35, Genesis 35, in the beginning of it, it's time to finish the journey all the way back to Bethel and ultimately to go home. So if Genesis 34 represents the abject spiritual failure of the patriarch Jacob, Genesis 35 stands as a testimony, listen to this very importantly, that the good news of God's grace and the good news of God's covenant, His blessing and keeping of His people, is not conditioned on their performance. If God would bless us and keep us, only in accord with our performance, every one of us would be lost. Especially Jacob. Especially me and you. And yet, God's grace and the promises of His covenant are so gracious 
that His grace to us is not conditioned on our spiritual performance, but rather His promises and grace. So, Genesis 35 is refreshingly full of grace. It's full of grace for sinners, even though it is also full of tears. We're going to see that together. So, if you've got your Bible ready in Genesis 35, let's pray together. Lord our God, we bow now in Your presence Thankful that you have called us, thankful that we have sung your praises and heard again the assurance of the gospel. And we pray now, Lord, that as we sit under the authority of the reading and proclamation of your word, that you would make all of our hearts ready to hear, that you would make our minds receptive to the truth of your word, and indeed our wills ready to be conformed to the obedience of your command. Oh Lord, we are a people much in need of grace and help today. And so send forth through your word by your Holy Spirit that grace which we are so in need of through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now hear now the word of God, Genesis 35. We'll be reading the whole of the chapter. Genesis 35, this is the word of God. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed Himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under the oak below Bethel, so he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Petamaram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. 
but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant Dan of Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padam Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Do keep your Bible open there in Genesis 35. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you're quite familiar and even have memorized this famous line from John Newton, who wrote one of our favorite hymns, Amazing Grace. He says there towards the end, Grace has led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace thus far, and grace all the way home. And that really uh, provides something of an outline for this chapter, because this chapter divides itself neatly into two parts, uh, as we remember that Jacob is on his way back home. Jacob is on his way back home to the land of his father after having traveled as far as Laban's far country to then gain his wife and children now going back home. And verses 1 to 15 are really a picture of communion with God and grace as Jacob gets back to Bethel, which is where God called him to go. And then verses 16 to 29 are a picture of God's grace in life and death as Jacob journeys from Bethel all the way back home. So Jacob is on the way to Bethel where he has been called and then beyond Bethel all the way home because grace has led me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. So this first part, this first part is a picture about communion with God in grace as God has called Jacob to go back to Bethel. In light of the disaster, the sheer disaster of Genesis 34, it's really a refreshing thing for us to see that for all of Jacob's failure, God has not forsaken Jacob. In fact, grace is going to be poured out on Jacob here in Genesis 35, really in this overflowing torrent of a picture. And I want us to notice all the various ways that God is pouring out grace to Jacob. There's, there's five of them right away here in this first part of the chapter. Look at them with me. First of all, uh, in verse 1, it says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. You shouldn't move too far past that very first verse. God spoke to Jacob, which is a reminder to Jacob. Uh, Jacob, God is not through with you. God is not done speaking to you. God is not done revealing His purposes for you and for your life. God is still speaking to Jacob. 
God has claimed Jacob to be his own, and God's word coming to Jacob is a mark of sure assurance that God is for Jacob. Amidst all of Jacob's failures and missteps and sins, despite all of Jacob's sins, God is still speaking to Jacob, saying, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, which is effectively God saying to him, Jacob, return to me. Come back and dwell in my presence. And Christian believer, one of the surest marks of assurance for your life is that God speaks to you in the Scriptures. That He is not done speaking to you the Word to say, I have chosen you, and my grace is for you. And if you ever doubt that God is speaking, all you have to do is open the Scriptures. Because God in His grace speaks to His people. That's the first thing. And then secondly... Pouring out grace to Jacob. Jacob is strengthened by God's grace to obey God's command. Look there at verse 2-4. to four. It says, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And God's grace strengthens Jacob to obey. Do you remember back in Genesis 31 when Jacob was leaving Laban's homeland? Uh, Jacob didn't know that his wife, Rachel, had taken from her father uh, Laban's household gods. That she had actually stuffed them in the camel bags, as it were, taking Laban's household gods, which upset him greatly and sent him to pursue Jacob and all his household and wanted to know where are the gods that you have stolen from me. And of course, Laban did not find them because Rachel had hidden them. And we were wondering at that time, why did Rachel steal these household gods? Probably little trinkets or statues or some knick-knack of things. Why did Rachel steal them? We don't know, really. We didn't know then. We might have more of a clue here now because it seems that Rachel perhaps has taken them, even treasured them, kept them in her possession and in the household of Jacob. For all the motivation that we can't know, what we do know for sure is that Jacob says, it's time to put them away once and for all. Verse 2, it's time to put away the foreign gods. It's time to do some spiritual house cleaning to put away the foreign gods. What does this, what does this mean? This is deeply significant. Jacob's family still had these little gods tucked away in their possession. Perhaps in case they assumed, if the Lord should fail us, we need something to fall back on. We need something that we have known and treasured from our past. We need a safety net in case God's promises should be failed. And Jacob says, friends, it's time to be rid of them. Loved ones, it's time to be rid of our idols. So Jacob here with strong leadership, a grace from God helping Jacob to obey, is a good word to us, is a good word to every single one of us this morning, that despite our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, it is possible for you, Christian believer, to cling tightly to a household God. To cling tightly to an idol, believing that they give you some kind of security. The New Testament is after this issue deeply when John says very tenderly, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And the reason why he says it is because we all have our idols we all have our household gods. We all struggle with our idolatries, believing that these are things that give us security, that in case the gospel should fail us, we have a safety net. And Jacob is saying to his family, let them go. 
And the gospel is saying to you, Christian, let them go. Whatever they are, whether you think it's your physical health, your financial resources, your reputation or your standing, something that you look at and say, by this I am safe and secure. The Bible calls it an idol if you look to it and give it your worship and obedience. And Jacob says, let's clear the house of our idolatry and trust in the Lord alone. Our, our hands cling too tightly to these idols and the Gospel says, let them go. And God gives Jacob the grace that he needs to let go of these things which his family has clinged so tightly to and to let them go. And not just to let them go, but also, he says, purify yourself and change your garments. Not just release the idolatry, but be cleansed and renewed in the obedience of God through Jesus Christ. Not just taking off, but taking on a positive change. God is gracious to Jacob in leading his family in this way. Also third, in verse 5, God protects Jacob. We can quickly see this. In verse 5 it says, A terror fell upon the cities because they did not pursue Jacob. Do you remember at the end of chapter 34, Jacob's real concern was that the people of God had aggravated the other nations such that they would come upon them and overtake them. And Jacob was truly worried about that threat. But there in verse 5 it says, God protected them. For whatever reason and in whatever way and by whatever means, God causes a terror to fall upon these other nations such that God protects His people from the nations. And in the words of Psalm 23, we could say, prepares the table before them in the presence of their enemies and they are safe despite the real threats. Grace in protection. Fourth, we can see there in verse 6-7 that God is gracious to Jacob as God meets with Jacob in worship. Look again at verse 6. It says, And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Isn't it a beautiful detail there that, that Moses records this detail that when Jacob came, all of Jacob's household was still with him, such that none were left behind that God in His grace has protected all of the household. And what we find here is a description of Jacob's act of worship and sacrifice before the Lord. Because back at Bethel, back in Genesis 28, remember Jacob had this incredible dream. We sometimes call it Jacob's ladder. We had this, this picture of a vision of a ladder and angels descending and ascending from heaven to attend to the Lord's servant with the promise that wherever you go and however far you stray, I will always bring you back home. Genesis 28 records that dream and it happens happened at the place that Jacob called Bethel, the house of God. And Jacob has returned back to that same place. I wonder if you have special places that, that you think that God is especially present to you. That's what Jacob thought, to be sure, because God had met with Jacob there. God said, this is the house of the Lord. And Jacob has come back, and Jacob knows that the place is special but it's special because he had an encounter with God there, which is why he reaffirms the name of the place there in verse 7, calling it El Bethel, which, if you'd like a little bit of a Hebrew lesson, is somewhat redundant because Bethel means house of God. Back in Genesis 28, Jacob called this the house of God, and the Hebrew prefix El is a word for God, and so when Jacob renames Bethel El Bethel, he calls Bethel the house of God, El Bethel, God of the house of God. You say, well, that's somewhat redundant, isn't it? 
God of the house of God. But listen to what one Puritan commentator says about this. He says, the comfort which the saints have in holy ordinances is not so much from Bethel, the house of God, as from El Bethel, God of the house. The ordinances are but empty things if we do not meet with God in them. You see, what this means is that it wasn't the case that Bethel, as a piece of dirt, a geography was special in and of itself, but that God chose that place to meet with Jacob there. Jacob would have certainly been tempted to think that God has abandoned me in my wanderings, but God is here saying, Jacob, no, I haven't. I am meeting with you again. I am dwelling with you again here at Bethel. And you know what, Christian believer, there's something wonderful about that reality for you here, if you're paying attention to it. Here too in God's sanctuary, where God meets with His people. But you understand, it's not the windows, and it's not the plaster, and it's not the pew cushions. But it is the place where the God of the place meets with His people, which is why it's special. God of the house of the God. So this remarkable grace where God chooses to meet with His people so that in the midst of their wanderings, when they have been tempted to think, God is not for me, they come back to the God of the house of God and hear Him say, no, I'm for you. I'm for you. I've not forsaken you. And as God meets with Jacob in verses 9-15, through 15, God appears to Jacob for this final time. In verses 9 through 15, there at verse 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob again. This is very significant and important, actually, because there in verse 9, this is going to be the final time that God is going to appear to Jacob. And actually, it's going to be the final time in the book of Genesis that God appears in this fashion altogether. Because as we have been reading in the book of Genesis, from uh, Genesis 12 through this point, God has been very uniquely communicating with His people in the history of redemption. This era that we call the patriarchal history of Genesis has as a feature a very distinct and unique mode of revelation as God literally appears to speak with the patriarchs. And when you read the word appear there, we should read and understand that God is in physicality of flesh and blood appearing with His people and speaking to them, which is what we read and understand to be a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ in flesh and blood, talking to Abraham, talking to Isaac, talking to Jacob. And this is unique. And there will be a shift in the lifetime of Jacob of God revealing Himself no longer as making physical appearances, but Jacob's son Joseph will have God appear to him in dreams as the chosen mode of revelation rather than physical appearances. This is the last appearance to Jacob and really the end of an era. And it's significant then that in this appearance there in verse 10, God comes to him and says, your name is Jacob, but your name is Israel. Because you remember back in chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God. 
And at the end of his wrestling, the sun rises and he's given a new name, Israel, which means a man who sees God or a man who has striven with God and has prevailed, who wrestles and contends with God. But the problem is, is that as we've seen throughout our readings, Jacob hasn't been living his life like a man who has seen God. He's been living his life like a man who's been running away from God in disobedience rather than living in obedience. But in this final meeting, Jacob has his name affirmed to him by God, saying, Jacob, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. This is who I see you as. And Christian believer, you should pay close attention to this because it is a word about how the gospel works, namely that it says this is how God looks upon His people. When God looks upon His people in grace, He does not see their sins and failures and disobediences. When He looks at Jacob, He doesn't say, Jacob, that's just who you are, you twister, you deceiver, you liar, you schemer. No, He says, Jacob, that's not who you are. You're Israel. You are a man of God. That's who God looks upon Jacob and sees. Not his sins, but a man changed by God's grace. Because this, friends, is how the gospel works. If you are in Jesus Christ by faith, if you are trusting in Christ, turning from your sins and believing upon Jesus, then when God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your disobedience. What does He see? He sees Christ. He looks at you and sees Jesus. And that is foreshadowed beautifully in saying to Jacob, Jacob, who you are is who I have changed you to be, Israel, a man of God. So you, Christian believer, are not your sins. You are most fundamentally who you are in Jesus Christ, forgiven and loved. That means very significantly, in God's sight, Christian, you are as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel means because that's how God looks upon you in the gospel. He appears to Jacob, gives him this new name, and sees significantly reaffirming the covenant, reaffirming the promises, the same old promises, fruitful and multiply, reaffirming the Abrahamic covenant there in verse 12. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. Land, seed, blessing. God is saying, this is who I am, and this is who I have promised you to be by my grace. I am your God, Jacob. I am the God of your grandfather, Abraham. I am the God of your father, Isaac. And Jacob, you have learned through all of your sojournings to take to your mouth the confession of your hope in me. I am your God too, Jacob. So too for the Christian believer, God is your God in Jesus Christ. His promises are yours. So this is, this is all the ways that God is pouring out His grace upon Jacob. And, and from this, we would assume... That if I have that much grace poured out on me, if I am so favored and so loved by God, then surely everything is going to go well for me from here on out, right? For the Christian believer ever thinking to themselves, if I'm a Christian, that means nothing bad will ever happen to me. I'll have no hardships, no sorrows, no sufferings. All will be well, all sunshine, all the time if I'm blessed by God, right? Surely not. And unfortunately, you know it all too well. 
Because though Jacob here is given endless blessing, he's not set on an easy way because what remains in the chapter is three funerals and another disgrace. So we should see that Jacob has come to Bethel. Grace has led Jacob safe thus far, and grace will lead Jacob home. Now God's grace in life and in death as Jacob goes from Bethel back home. Notice what happens. There is the death of Rebekah's nurse so significant to the family that she's named here Deborah in verse 8, who's buried under the oak tree in Shechem, and that tree is given a name, Alan Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. Jacob's household is in mourning and in grieving. And if it was grieving for Deborah, the grief increases there because then Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, dies in childbirth of Benjamin. Dying in childbirth. Now note her dying wish to call his name Ben-Oni there in verse 18. Call him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. So it's that she sees that this son is something of the fruit of a lifetime of sorrow, hardship, difficulty, son of my sorrow. But see, see this beautiful picture. Can you see it? That, that Rachel dies while bringing life into the world is a stark contrast and a beautiful one, isn't it? Rachel's life is extinguished from her as she brings life into the world. It's quite the theme for a a Mother's Day. Pouring out their lives, as mothers do. Pouring out their lives to give life to their children. Even at the expense of their own life. That's what a mother is. Self-sacrificing for the life of her children. Now you notice here that Jacob doesn't honor his wife's final wish. Because this child is not named Benoni, the son of my sorrow. He's named Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And because the right hand, the right hand represents the place of blessing, Jacob is saying, by this child does not come sorrow. But even though this child comes and by whose birth I am bereft of my beloved wife, still by way of this child, blessing will come. There will come blessing. You see, Jacob is so convinced of this that even in the midst of this tragedy of losing his wife, Jacob believes that God is going to work out a good purpose for him through this horrific loss. And you should look at that and see Jacob. And I hope that you should look at that and see and say to yourself, that's some kind of faith, isn't it? To look upon the corpse of my beloved and say, good will come from this. Blessings will flow from this tragedy, this heartache, this sorrow. That's the faith of a patriarch, isn't it? The faith of a man of God. And we would say, that, that, that seems difficult to approach because that seems like a faith that is altogether uh, inaccessible to me in my hardships and in my sorrows. But do you see here that In the life of Jacob, throughout his life as we've seen him, Jacob who was known to be the twister, the schemer, the one who was going to connive his own way, now has learned not to manipulate to make his own way, but to simply say, 
I don't know how and I don't know why, but I believe that God will make a way. I believe that good will come from this hardship, this sorrow, that he has learned to trust God's word even in a dark place. Christian believer, have you learned to trust God's word when you don't see any visible indications of reasons why you should, and yet do you? That is the faith of Jacob who trusts God's word in the face of hardship. It's flesh and blood on the text of Romans 8.28 that God works out all things for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Christian believer, do you believe that God works everything out for your good? Even your most painful of heartaches for blessing according to His sovereign design. And loved one, you may never see how that design is knitted out in this life. But the promise of the Gospel is that in eternity, all will be clear, all will be plain, and the things that you have only looked through a glass dimly in this life with minimal understanding, you will see in the fullness of faith one day. So trust and believe that God works out His purposes even as Jacob here is now clinging to this new child next to the lifeless body of Rachel, he says God will work this out for good. And in case we are tempted to doubt that, Moses reminds us in verse 23 to 26 that the children of Jacob are now complete. Do you see it there? Verse 23 to 26, the children of Jacob, the sons of Israel, or as the Bible calls them, the 12 tribes of Israel. We needed to get to 12. And there is Benjamin. Are they perfect? No. If you want evidence, look at Reuben in verse 22. It's a reminder of the sin and wickedness that yet remains in the people of God, but in the midst of sin and sorrow, the purposes of God continue to work themselves out in the lives of His people. And, and do you see that this is the grand theme of all of Scripture, isn't it? That God's purposes work themselves out in accord with His sovereign will to reveal Jesus Christ because it is by these twelve tribes and the one tribe particular of Judah that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to descend. God works out His purposes in all of history. And that brings us here to this final scene there in verse 27 as Jacob returns to his father's side. If you can remember back or if you want to look back later on, the last time that Jacob was in front of his father, Isaac, was something about two decades ago. Twenty years have gone by since son has been before father. And do you remember the last time that he was before his father? It was in the darkness of a room and a father whose eyesight was failing him as Jacob was a young man deceiving and conniving and twisting to get Isaac's blessing. And if Isaac had failing eyesight all those many years ago, you could rightfully assume that Isaac's eyesight is completely gone by this point. And yet here is his son, returned back to him. And before Isaac stands, yes, his son, but now a man of God. He who left as Jacob is now returned as Israel. He who went away as schemer and manipulator is back as the one who trusts 
in the sovereign God, a man who has seen God and been blessed by him. And it is almost here now that the 180 years of Isaac's life has only now been fulfilled as his son has returned home with the blessing of God that Isaac had prayed that he would receive. He has indeed received, and most importantly, as Jacob returns back to Isaac's household, Isaac knows for sure and finally that the line of the covenant will continue. Seeing the children, seeing the grandchildren, knowing that God's promises will yet be received to another generation. Because you remember, Isaac was the promised son of Abraham who in his great old age had a son, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, The story of the patriarchs is the story of the people of God and the line of God's promise that ultimately again culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the text says, Isaac breathes his last and he dies and was gathered to his people old and full of days. And there is a reunion of sons in the burial of their father. Do you see what the Bible is saying about God's purposes and God's grace and God's promises and how it works itself out across the generations. This is a word of grace to the people of God. That our God is a God who keeps His promises. Our God is a God who works out grace in the midst of our distress. Who redeems us from the pits that we find ourselves in and loves us and promises never to forsake us. And we should see in this especially a word of grace concerning the children of believing parents. On a Mother's Day, that's a good thing to see, isn't it? That it is a blessing to see the children of believing parents walking in the truth. And having confidence that God's word and promises will yet be received by another generation to say, my mother's God will be my God too. My father's God will be mine as well. It's a word of grace and blessing to see our children walking in the truth. But it is also likewise a word of grace to those parents who see their children wandering from the truth as Isaac had to wait a long time to see Jacob come back. And there, in God's grace and faithfulness, His promises stand. Friends, let's play for our covenant children that even if they wander, they might know the security of coming home to the promises of their God and the assurances that are sealed in their baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. Jacob owns the God of the covenant to say, this God shall be my God. And as we say, grace has indeed led Jacob safe thus far, and Jacob has been led all the way home by God's grace as his father Isaac is. And Christian believer, the Gospel says to you that there is grace enough in Jesus Christ to lead you through whatever it is that you face. And ultimately to lead you all the way home. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian and the child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You that by Your mercy and kindness and grace, You lead us all the way through. So we pray that You would look upon us with mercy and grace and kindness that we might confess in our generation 
as our mothers and fathers have in theirs, your faithfulness, your grace, your truth. Bless us, Lord, as we seek to do so in our own time. And for the sake of our children, we also ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.